if you have a reference picture, a photograph, and you have a particular part of this reference picture, say a fur, a colour of a fur, then you'd look at the, the outside colour. That's what you're looking at. Brown, green, grey, red, whatever the colour happens to be. What you have to then do is say, okay, that's the colour I want. What colours can I use from my range of pencils that will give me the subtleness of that colour? You're listening to Colin Bradley Artcast with Colin Bradley and Stephen Bradley. Hello and welcome to Colin Bradley Artcast. I'm Stephen Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. So it's been a few days since we did the last podcast, isn't it? It is, yeah. But uh, we want to make advantage while you're still here, Stephen. Yeah, that's it. Not winging your way back to London. Which I will be next week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, by the time people tune into this podcast, I'll be back home in London. That's right. So uh, we're recording this before I go back. Excellent. So uh, are you all right? I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, I'm in full voice again. You know, I had that croak a little while ago, isn't it? It's weird. Well, uh, yeah, it, it was weird, and uh, but it's all gone now, thank goodness. Uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, just before we came on here about the pens that you've got there, because um, you're. We, we, I know you're working on some new projects and stuff, which involves mm. pens. That's right. And you were just saying um, that people might be able to use their super fine point pens that if they've bought from the art store. Yeah. In the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Not folks. just for the pen and ink projects that no, are right there. Well, they're ideal for the pen and ink products because they were fine. It's the finest one I could get from the Faber-Castell uh, range. And they're really good pens. And I'd, I've experimented on several because I'm doing the cartoons and we'll be inking those cartoons in not it's not compulsory that you do that you can just use pencil but we'll be inking them in and um i wondered whether we should use a thicker pen anyway i've tried three different types of pen as well as the one we use and i've come back to the one we use is still the best one yeah yeah well it's the easiest one to use a lot of a lot of cartoon work they do use brush pens but it, they're quite hard to use. And um, it's a bit like calligraphy. You know, you, you've got a point on it, so you can use the point when you need it, and then you can spread it out when you want a thicker area. It's the same idea as yeah. calligraphy. So, yeah. But uh, it's going to be more difficult to use. So I think we'll stick to the pen we know and love. So it gives uh, people a good reason to snap them up on our art store. Yeah, well, they, they, sell, they sell anyway, I think, well, because if people find them useful, they're not just for what we do, you know, they're, they're a useful pen anyway. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, so um, lots of new projects in the pipeline. Um, by the time this podcast goes out, I think we would have probably unveiled the um, new figure drawing subject that's the next oh, subject right. going out the sitting down right um sitting down lady yes the last one the that, last uh, one of the of series the series of three yes it's a good one that we've left the best till last really that was the first one you did though wasn't it it was the first one it was the first one i attempted yes but i redid it again but the first one i did uh i was fairly happy with it but by the time i got to the second and third one and practiced it i I changed the technique slightly. So I decided to redo that one, and it was better because of it. It's a very stylish picture, I think. It is. It's a nice picture that people... It's the hardest one of the three, I've got to tell people that. But it's a great drawing skill. And this is 
we'll set them up once we, we get the cartoons because the cartoons that, um, that we're working on at the moment use similar principles. So once you've got that idea of the figure drawing, whilst you won't be as exacting with the cartoons, you're still working on the same principle. Mm. And they also the same principle really applies to the new cat drawing project, which will be coming out soon. So it's all kind of linked together. What I did, Steve, is I went back to my roots, really, how I first started. And I thought, okay, now, how did I first start? And I thought that would be a really good starting off point for people who haven't drawn before, but would like to start drawing to, mm. to do what I did. It's always the best way because I'm, I've ended up where I've ended up because of what I, how I started off and the progression I felt is good. It's not strictly art school, uh, academic way of drawing, but it's my way of drawing. Mm. And I think that is the only way I feel that uh, I can progress. Yeah. So it's going to be ideal for people that want to learn how to draw freehand. That's the main, oh, the main skill that you'll get from this. Yeah, without any doubt at all. Once you learn those basic principles that uh, we're going to be teaching you over the next few months you will be able to do freehand drawing. I still use square drawing, though, even though I, I can freehand draw, I still use square drawing. It's really important because when you've got cats and people more than you have with landscapes, I must admit, um, you do need precision. And if you relied on your eye alone without any um, help, you could get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, it's wrong all the way through doesn't matter how great you are at colouring, how brilliant you are at interpreting colour, it's still going to look wrong. The proportions the, are the still going to look. The proportions are slightly out. out. So, it's, so that's why I still use square drawing. And I recommend people to continue with that system. But to freehand draw as well gives you a wonderful... I mean, if you're sketching, if you go out sketching, you can't square draw, can you? No. So, so you, you can't take a square drawing. Well, you can, but it doesn't work very well. You're holding square up to whatever you're trying to draw, especially yeah. an animal is moving around all the time. Uh, no, you can't do it like that. But So to sketch is ideal. So learn to freehand draw when you go out sketching is perfect because you're not looking at precision. If you look at some of Constable's work, he did, did, obviously they relied more on sketching than they did photography in those days. Uh, so his sketches were very, very rough, but they didn't have to be exact. They just gave an idea, they captured a moment, really, mm. and they gave him an idea of what he wanted. Then he could go back to the studio and use his own method of um, drawing more pre precisely. Yeah. Yeah, so capturing a moment by sketching, mm. you're going to be able mm. to use these skills for that. And all the, the techniques I'm showing people will be able to be used for that reason, for sketching. That'll get a lot of people excited out there, I'm sure. I hope it will, because that's my, that's my aim, to excite people and inspire people and say, this is what you can do, folks. Learn to draw and paint online by visiting colinbradleyart.co.uk. Okay, so moving on to your emails. Uh, first one is from Bob. Hi, Steve. Is there a difference between polychromos and inscribed pastel sticks? Oh, absolutely. There is. Um, the difference is that the inscribed pastel sticks, which I've used, and I used to use them for my workshops, <laughs> the simple reason that they were quite cheap. And if I had, as I did, mainly from the, uh, when I used to 
go away with the Flatford Mill comes to mind. I used to use inscribed pastels um, because I used to buy them in then. Uh, they were in part of my stock. And they were only little short sticks, and they were very cheap. They're like soft pastels. They, mm, no, not quite. They are they're harder. harder. They're harder than soft pastel, yeah. But they come into that category. They're, they're in the category of soft pastel. Now, polychromo sticks are a harder stick, and they are more akin to the pastel pencil. So if you're going to use pastel pencils and you want to add polychromos pastel sticks you can do that and then you can carry on with the pastel pencil now if you did it with inscribe it wouldn't be so easy to do that because you're looking at a slightly chalkier uh, more movable medium you know i've never used that word before folks movable i've just suddenly i've just suddenly invented a new word well you know what i mean by movable when you put if you put the soft pastel on top of the pastel pencil and then you put a pastel pencil on top of that, you move the pastel, the, the inscribe, you move it away because it won't adhere. Now, polychromos adheres just as the pastel pencil grips to each other. Grips, that's it. But uh, so that's what happens. It has, happens with soft pastel too, more so with a, with the loose soft pastel because it will move all the time. You can't get you can't get it to stay there when you put the pastel pencil on top. That's what mm. I'm trying to say. So, so um, the inscribe would be inscribe I'd, more ideally like used as if you're using soft pastel. Uh, yes, in the same way. In fact, I would say they are very, very similar to our uh, paper still pastel sticks we use. The creative uh, set. Mm. Yeah, mm. 24. 24 yeah, same, same and around that. the same size as well, you said, like soft, yes. smaller, smaller size. Well, they did it because um, of, uh, to be inexpensive, to be honest, they're about a third of the size of a, a larger pastel stick. So therefore it was a third of the uh, material was used, a third of the price. Right, so cheap. that's why people sort of... And I used to use them for backgrounds too, ideal. They're a very good product, actually. Right. I'm not knocking them, even though they're inexpensive. But there is a difference, going back to Bob's question, there is a difference between polychromos. Yes, and I've just explained it. And that's it. <laughs> Great. Okay, next one is from Claudia. Dear Colin and Steve, I have attached three cropped photos of different subjects. The first two are blurry, I know, but I had chosen the photo as I wanted to practice with these particular combination of colours, which seemed to be impossible for me to achieve. I've cropped them in order to show you the exact area that's given me so much trouble as I seem to inevitably fail each time I try and end up throwing it away as it looks muddy. The first two, to first two photos are of two snub-nosed golden monkeys. I simply chose them as they're very colourful and wanted to practice some of the tones that they are giving me a lot of trouble. The third photo is an image of our Pomeranian. I had sent you the latter last year, and although you helped me immensely, I hadn't considered the main problem that would be the area right above the eyes where the dark tones are. I simply can't make it work as the tones look heavy and it has no resemblance of light, fluffy fur. Now, I've attacked... Uh, Claudia's uh, email we did a blog on, so mm -hmm. you can check the photos. I'll put a link on the show notes if you're, if you're listening on the website. You'll be able to see these photos. Because mm. um, it's a very orangey coloured mm. fur, isn't it? And mm. The reason why I've picked it out is because you've done orange before in peaches That's and you've right. covered orange, but you never covered it in fur. No. So what's the difference in my question, uh, and, and this information will help Claudia, I hope, and others out there that are doing orange light fur, mm. um, What's the difference in, in the colours that you would pick for the peaches and the colours that you would pick for the fur? Mm. The light well, first of fur. all, I can perfectly understand the problem. It's one of the problems I had, it, it, just digressing in a moment, but it's very relevant, 
when you do a ginger cat. Now you'll find on my webs on my uh, videos, you won't see many ginger cats being done. And that's a good reason for this. It's really difficult to find the ginger colour. Ah, okay. Now that is similar to the colours we're talking about: the oranges, the browns, the the richness of that colour. And it's really, really easy to make mud, as Claudia's found out. Now to get over this you have to compromise quite a lot. I've talked about in past about artistic license and compromising, and you've got to do it here. But you can get close. In the situation like that, if you could, when you've got the lighter, that golden lighter colour, you would put the white on, you would put the ivory on. Now here, you've got to be careful, because you don't want to... That is a light fur, and the light fur can be... You could add a little bit of... Uh, ochre to it that's yellow ochre then orange now it's got to be that way around yellow and then orange if it was the other way around the orange wouldn't take to the ivory are you with me so you wouldn't in put this orange situation straight on the ivory oh you can but not in this situation what we're okay. looking for is that golden color gingery sort of color so you have to find that that should actually because you've got two oranges you've got 109 113 and both of those two can be added on top of the ochre. And that creates, if you're fine enough and careful enough, you can create the fur you're looking for. Now, the other problem is when you want the darker fur. Yeah. Where you put the white, you put the ivory, you put the ochre, you put the orange, and then you put the 283 on. Now, if you were to do that, you've got mud. That's what people would do because they're following what I've just said. Actually, you miss the white. You miss the ivory. You then put in either the ochre, the oranges, and then the 283, or miss the ochre out altogether, but the orange and the 283 and the 177. You see what I'm coming from? Now, what we're doing there, we're missing all those light colours out. I've said this so many times, folks, so you should be getting fed up with me saying this. If you want a dark tone, you don't use the light colours. Yeah. So many people do. And if you'd followed me from what, when I first said that, you put the white, you put the ivory, you put the ochre, you put the oranges, then you put the 283, then you put the uh, 177. Now, if you put all those on, you've got, you've got a complete load of mush because all the light colours that you put on will mess up those stronger colours. Is the, the, you said the white, the ivory and the ochre, is that the yellowy ochre you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, well, it doesn't really... There's three ochres you could choose, really, Steve. You've got the... And, and you can sometimes play with all three. I wouldn't put all three on. You've got 183, you've got 184, and you've got 185. <clears throat> now, all three of those have got slightly tints, different tints to them. So you could, again, the old trick of going on spare paper first. Practising mm. using either of those. So you've got your photograph, haven't you? Okay, and you've got a bit of spare paper, and you can play with it. Play with those colours until you reach the right one. You might find that 183 is a little bit too far towards the ochre. The 185, which is a richer colour, might be the ideal colour once you put the orange on. Yeah. Got me? Now, that will work, folks. I guarantee that will work. But it's not going to produce exactly the colour that you're, you're looking for. But it's good compromise. What's the 283? And 283 the... is burnt sienna. And what's the 177? Is Van Dyke Brown. 
Right, okay. So I can see how we're getting into these. Yeah, so now medium, you're getting dark. Medium if you want to go darker than 177, and sometimes you do, as long as you put the 283 on. I mean, if you're really going really dark and you need to put a darker colour on, you forget all about the oranges, you just put the 283 raw on the paper because you're looking at really dark colours. 283, 177, and then you can put a bit of black on. So you're starting with a medium brown mm. tone. You, but you've got to be careful there. You've got to make sure that it's your base colour... super color, dark. Oh, that's gone. That's really... But sometimes it works that way, Steve. Sometimes you have to. What if you had some, um, some really light, light orange fur with some dark bits in it? Uh-huh. <laughs> then you've got problems. Then you can't really because it will look muddy. Is that right? No, you can actually get away with that to a certain extent. I doubt if, if you've got a light fur sticking out of a very dark bit of fur. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't try it. I think this, this is one of those things. That, do I really need to do that? Do, is it really, really important to the picture that I actually do that? That's when artistic don't, license don't comes it. into place, yeah. We had, a, we had a case a little while ago where, uh, I can't remember, the, I think it was a gentleman, said he had dark fur and in, in a cat. And there was some light. And there was some light furs. Yeah. And I said, don't do them. Don't do them, yeah, just miss them out. because it's <laughs> Forget them. Yeah. Use your artistic license. No, I mean... Well, you could say to me, what about a whisker? You can't leave a whisker out. No, you can't. But then you use a really, really sharp white and zip it in. It's bound to pick up on some of the dark colour. You can't avoid it, Steve. Yeah. So so going back to Claudia's pictures, these these are the white, light, fluffy furs. Um, That's the colour combination. How does the technique... Is there any technique specifically? No, just follow the same same technique that I would normally follow for light fur. You've only got to look back on all the subjects... It's, there isn't any difference. You wouldn't you wouldn't change your, your technique on that. You've just got to be careful and mindful that you've got to you've got to move from the light colours to the dark colours care, as carefully as you can. It can be done, uh, as I've proved so many many times. But you've got to you've got to practice at it. Mm. You've got to you've got to practice on paper first and try not just the colours, Steve, but the techniques too. Mm. Okay. But that will solve the problem for her. Great. Added to that, as I said, artistic license. You've got to accept, you've got to use some of that. Okay, good. Uh, would, it, would that apply as well? I'm still on this ginger subject. If you're doing someone's ginger hair, like ginger human hair. Yes, it would. Yeah. Absolutely would. Yeah, exactly yeah. what you just said. Exactly what I've just said. Yeah. Okay, um, next one is from... Jan, uh, I can't wait to join your membership. We'll try three months to begin. Just initiating a PayPal account at the moment. Um, I have tried all the stores in Adelaide, South Australia, but I cannot get the Fabriano paper, so I would love to order a pack of both sizes from you. I already have a beautiful set of Faber-Castell pastel pencils. I also have some Conti pastel pencils. Do you ever use them? Uh, I did when I first started. Um, And we are talking about the very first time I used pastel pencils. I bought a few Conti pencils as well as the Carbothella, which I was using then. And I found them, some of the colours, particularly they had a really attractive pink in there, which hasn't been reproduced at all in any of the other ranges as far as I know. Really? Um, Yeah. And I used to use that quite a lot, that Conti, in with the Carbothella. The only drawback with them is they can tend to be a bit scratchy. Every now and again, you get a bit of scratch, and that put me off. 
Is that because they're a bit hard, too hard? Oh, I, I don't know. It might just be the consistency of the pastel. You've got to bear in mind that we use pastel pencils unlike most people used to use them. I think more people are coming around to our way of doing it now, but in the old days, it was just a pencil that was a convenient to use with the soft pastel work to put some detail in. Yeah, yeah. And they used to use them as a sketching pencil more than we would do at the mo as we do at the moment. So they used they were used differently. And I don't think the the criteria was the same. People didn't need to do need to have those pencils as fine. This is where Faber-Castell scored, and subsequently other companies have also followed suit uh, in recent years where they've produced a pencil which is more able to be built up and use them as we use. We started well, a revolution in those to, days. To be, <laughs> to be used independently, though, is more, more, more importantly mm. to be able to be used as their, in their own right. Yes, they were used as a sketching pencil, and I used, to, I used to see people using them, and I saw results. I didn't like it because it was more of a colour and sketch rather than depth. There was no depth to it. Mm. And that's okay if that's what you want to do. But the way we kind of changed over those 30 years has now swung it round, and most people that use pastel pencils now use them the way we do. Mm. Good. You started something off there. I did. So so obviously Jan's got some Conti pencils, so she can use them. Yes. Especially that pink. If she you've got the pink, it. wow, your quid's in. <laughs> I can't remember what it is now. I haven't got People are going to go out and buy a load of pink uh, Conti pencils. Oh, there was quite a that. few of them as well, and I can't remember. It, it was like very pretty pink. Yeah. Um, but I used it in portrait work. Yeah, I bet. I, bet. I mean, this is in the uh, very early days, but uh, the... No, I don't, you don't need it, particularly, we don't need it now. I look at the, the, the work we do now with the portrait work, we don't need it now. Mm. But if you've got them, use them, yeah. They can be used in conjunction with the Faber-Gasell. Try our free courses and sign up today. Visit colinbradleyart.co.uk So the next one comes from Mark. Hi, Colin. I would very much like to always see the original uh, photo or picture that you use for your projects. The reason for this is that it would be very interesting to establish a link between the real-life colours and the layering you use to represent them in your work. I also think that this would be a great help in expanding the individual mental database we all have for remembering colours and representation, as this would allow us to compare real-life colours between different subjects and perhaps find common points or differences between animals, for instance. This could also be an incentive for us to experiment with other, comb- other colour combinations compared to the ones you use. Um, there may be a reason why you have not added the original picture in the past. If there is, it would be great if you could share it, or maybe if you just did not think of it, or maybe it would thought it would not be useful. Uh, this is not easy to put into words, but I hope you understand what I mean. I do absolutely understand what Mark means. And it's a really good question, and it's going to be a very long answer, I'm afraid, because, first of all, um, I have been asked a few times by different people whether I would do this, and I have done it. If you look over all the videos that I've got, you'll find that I do occasionally... Show the reference picture. If I'm using a reference one a reference picture. Yeah. 
The problem is, folks, I don't use one reference picture. Very I use often. sometimes as many as five reference pictures. Now, can you imagine a situation where I'm constructing a picture and say, now, uh, no, which, which one? Oh, this is the one I've got to show you, folks. Now, this is going to be really boring. I mean, probably Mark will find it really interesting, but I've got to look at a general thing and a, and a flow. I, first of all, I've, I've got to keep putting different pictures up because I'm using different ones. Sometimes I take the head of somebody and then and put it on the body of somebody else, which I've just done recently, and, and it works really well. I can't show both of those. It's just impossible to do. Well, so, the projects are long enough as they is. They, they are. are. <laughs> yeah, so and, unless you want to double the length of the projects, folks, it can't be done. This is one of the main reasons I don't do it. The other reason is that when you're focusing on my picture which I do quite well now, I'm getting good at this, you see close up my picture. If I've got to keep breaking off, it loses the flow. As far as I'm concerned, it would lose the flow. And I just, it just wouldn't work. I've tried it a few times and it didn't, it didn't work. In practice, it didn't work that well. Um, as far as knowing the colours are concerned, that really shouldn't be a problem because the colours I choose very often aren't the colours that are in the picture. Mark will say, well, yes, but I would like to find that out. Then I'd have to go and explain why I'm doing it. And can you, uh, I'm can sorry, you, can you're you, getting very complicated now. Is, is, there, a, um, is there a general um, reason, um, you know, why you would, if you're looking at a picture, that you would sort of look at the colours and go, well, actually, I know that looks like that, but I'm going to do that. Mm. Well, I, I tell you what, I have done this already, and people, if they search YouTube and the, the member site, they'll find me actually explaining how I did this for certain pictures. And I might well do it again, but I won't do it on a picture I'm working on. That, mm. that just loses the flow. But I could do it, and, um, but it, then how many pictures have I got to do for people to understand? Uh, because every picture, that, every photograph that I use... I would have to start explaining how I use those colours. And I know that might be interesting, but it would be very boring for me. Well, there is, uh, there is some videos that you've done uh, a little while ago on choosing colours for various subjects, and That's they're right. going to go up as a, as a, a subject. So we're going to hit the points that Mark's raised, um, mm. and other people have also asked, about picking colours out of a reference photo. Mm. Um, but they're not going to be... Uh, well, some of them are, are projects that are going to be coming up, but some of them are, are just, it's, you're just looking at a, a reference photo and saying, I'll right. oh, choose this colour and this colour. That's right. Um, so we are going to be, be covering something like this because I think if people want to branch out into their own, uh, to their own subjects, mm. it's, a good, it's a good thing, mm. a good bit of information for people to see mm. how, how to look at a, 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 a photo. Because if you don't, if you, don't, uh, if you want to get as close as possible to that that color um, that you're looking at in the photo, um, you might still have to change it. Absolutely, is that that's right, almost certainly it? you would. You wouldn't. You can't get a, a, an exact, exact, exact. No. Um, so, so people have just got to get close to it. Learn how to get close to the mm. color. Is that there right? is a there is a, a way of doing it though, Steve. And I've explained it before, but I'll explain it again here. If you have a reference picture, a photograph, and you have a particular part of this reference picture, say a fur, a colour of a fur, then you'd look at the, the outside colour. That's what you're looking at. Brown, green, grey, red, whatever the colour happens to be. 
What you have to then do is say, okay, that's the color I want. What colors do, can I use from my range of pencils that will give me the subtleness of that color? If it's, if it's say, a brown, a rich brown, you say, okay, on my spare piece of pastel paper, I use what I think would be a rich brown. You then put that rich brown on, it doesn't look anything like the photograph. Mm. And it won't do. Because you haven't built it. You haven't got it. You've also got to remember that we're using, most of us would be using the same color paper. So you've already got a color that you're using, even yeah. though it's a faint color. So you have to, if you put a, a, a brown on that, which you think is the right color when you put the pencil on the photograph, and you put it on the same color paper, it, not, it goes down a couple of notches. It darkens a couple of notches, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you're using already a darkened paper or a slightly darker paper that's 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 the thing you've got to remember so what you have to do is you look at the color that you want to achieve that's the color of the pencil and that's the color that is represented on the photograph how do i do it well then you have to find a color or colors that will build up to give you in the end when you put that final color on the color that you need okay folks yes you think that's a lot of work it is but how much are you going to learn if you do that? And every single time, I do. That's what I do, folks. That's what, exactly what I do. So why don't you do what I do? Um, and it can be done. Mm. I know it's complicated, and I know it's hard. And I know it would be the easy way out, but it would, it's not really the right way of doing it. The way I've just told you to do it is the way you can learn. And the more you do, the more you'll learn. Mm. remembering all the things I tell you about if you've got a dark brown, you don't put any light colours on it, otherwise you're, you're going to kill it. You find the colour grey would be a really good colour to use before the brown. So you put grey onto the sand. Now the sand's already got a colour, the grey goes onto the sand, it changes the grey colour because you've, you've already got an undertone. Then you need maybe another colour in between, like an ochre, one of the ochres you could put on then you could put the brown. You see what I mean? I'm trying to say you, you're kind of building up to the colour you need. I mean, I'm talking about brown. We could be talking about anything, couldn't we? Yeah. So going back to what you said about when you look at a picture and you pick out a certain tone, that's that's the, the, the real tip that I, I... The pencil. Yeah, the, the mm. pencil. Like if you look at a reference picture and you said if it's got a brownish or if it's got a greyish, mm. if it's mm. got a reddish. So it's identifying that first and mm. then saying, right now, how can I get... The best way of doing it is to look at your pencil range. You've only got a range of 60 pencils. Yeah. And look at that range and look at the colour of the photograph. Go put every pencil on it and see which is the closest. Which is the closest. It might be a combination of two. You might think, you know, I put a little brown. Oh, hang on. It's a little more reddy than that. So if I put a little bit of red in, mm. you've got red and brown. Now you've got two colours mm. that might go to make it up. So you you would then have to find an undercolour or undercolours that would build you mm. eventually use those two colours on top which would give you the right colour. Mm. When we were talking about this um, question before, as, as when I was including it in the list uh, for the show, you were saying about how people can overthink these colours and that there isn't a specific set of rules to picking colours mm. and that you've, I know you mentioned it uh, a few, quite a few episodes ago um, about a colour wheel. Mm. that they used to sell um, mm. and people were snapping them up because they thought mm. that this is going to tell them exactly what mm. colours to pick for exactly what projects. Mm. And you were saying to me that 
the only way that you, you can actually truly get an understanding of it is through experience alone. Mm, that's right. Because there isn't, there shouldn't be a set guideline. I think it's absolutely true. You've got to use your instinctive qualities. We've all got them, although we don't use them as much as we'd like to. We've still got them. And you can use your instinct. You can look at it and think, mm, I wonder why that isn't working. Little voices talk to you. If you don't hear them, then... And the only way to exercise I can do it. the only way to exercise those voices in a way is by practicing. Absolutely. The more used you are to doing it, the colour wheel was just a complete waste of time. Absolutely. People used to take them away from the art shows and I bet they never used them. Because but even can't. if they did, it, it how complicated it made it. This is why I was saying to you that you can overthink it all. Mm. And you're overthinking you're overthinking this straight away. Uh, I never went through that process when I first started. Just I didn't have any colour wheels. I, I just learned by doing exactly what I've just told you to do. Mm. How easy was it be to have a photograph and put a, the nearest colour you can get to you on your colour? Bear in mind you've got artistic licence involved in it. You're not going to get exactly the same colour. It's what's closest. Closest. One that you're accepted, you accept. And once you've got that colour on, on of your pencil against the colour in the photograph, you then got to find out how to do it. And I've told you how to do it. I've, t- I've given you the secret of how it's done. <laughs> but you've got to practice it. And exercise your instincts. More than ever, that comes into play. Chuck the colour wheel away and <laughs> use your instincts. And that's sim- very simplistic way that I've explained it to you here. And you don't really need me then to bring the colour in and do all this explaining while I'm trying to produce a video. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Good. Okay, well, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. That's, uh, that's a lot of good advice. So uh, thanks, Dad. That's been a, a packed episode. As always, you can send your questions into us by going to colinbradleyart.co.uk and uh, clicking the contact page at the top or, or the contact us button. Send your queries through. Um, it's taking us a little while to get back to some people at the moment is because we're just getting so many of them. Stephen, we, um, we are getting so busy. I cannot, uh, with all the work you do, and uh, I mean, I'm not as uh, uh, as busy as you are. You're far busier than I am. But then I'm getting older and I, I can't, I haven't got the concentration I used to have. <laughs> but you are inundated. And uh, I hope people understand that you you just cannot get back to all of the emails and the things you do. And uh, you do a fantastic job and you will only be able to carry on doing that fantastic job if you're allowed the time. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It might get to the stage where we can't always guarantee a reply, but we may be able to instead bring it up on the podcast mm. because mm. We, we do, you know, we try and get back to absolutely everyone within a certain amount of time if we can. And, um, also bring them up on this show mm. because we feel that they'd be useful for other people. So Absolutely. it may get to the point where we may just, just purely be able to answer your query over the podcast. Mm. It's the easiest way of us to... In time, to I think, Steve, in. we'll be covering everything, won't we? We've covered an awful lot at the moment. But that's the nature of the pastel pencil. It's a, just a fantastic medium that has so many uh, subtleties to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. Well, uh that's it then for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Steve Bradley. And I'm Colin Bradley. Enjoy, Enjoy your week. week. You've been listening to Colin Bradley Artcast. Learn to draw and paint online at your own pace in your own home. For free courses and more information, visit colinbradleyart.co.uk. Hey!